back again. Welcome back to the extras. I'm Jack. I'm Sam. Uh, we are here with you for round three of Woo! our bumper. I mean, this is the extras to the extras to the extras this time. We've this had uh, stacks of questions about predestination and election, and that's a great thing. So we're here to keep wrestling. We will jump back into it again. Yeah. Uh, the way it's been working now, we've got a couple of questions really digging into the issue of evil and God's relationship to evil. So big things there. And after that, we're going to round it out with a, a big run of sort of application pastoral mm. questions. So looking forward to that. Sam, we're going to do it with this one. Uh, someone asks, how do we understand suffering and evil? God is not evil, but somehow he commands or allows suffering. This person says, my own view is that our humanity means we don't fully understand what is good and what is evil. Our mm. perspective is limited. How do we work out God's relationship to evil there? Yeah, um, God is not evil. The question says, but somehow commands slash allows. I, I think I think that's right. Um, and I also understand what uh, what they're getting at with the idea that we, we don't always fully understand uh, here. So I, I, mm. I, I get that. Um, I think we've said a couple of times, and even in the earlier episodes, uh, if you've listened to them already, um, God is indeed uh, sovereign over evil. Mm. And yet I think it's it's right to say that he stands behind it in a different way to how he stands behind good. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess the, the the word I would use is that he has an, an asymmetrical relationship uh, to uh, good and evil. So mm. that is, they're not, they're not exact mirror images of each other. So he stands behind evil in a different way. And I think it is in that, the difference is in that Ultimately, somebody else will always be held responsible for that evil, uh, yeah. despite the fact that um, God still is in control of it. Um, Joseph and the brothers are a good example of that. Mm. Um, their evil acts were not outside of the, the will of God, but they are the ones that God holds responsible for it. So he stands behind it in a way that he remains morally good and working for good and yet using evil in his plan to bring about good. Um, and I think that that comes down to God's intent in it mm. is that he is good and bringing about salvation while the brother's intent is evil and they are bringing about, you know, the, the judgment or the, the, the suffering of their brother uh, and they are rightly punished for it. Whereas God stands behind good in a way that he is, uh, like he just does good and is, yeah. and is held responsible for that good. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's, I think, the category that we've been trying to kind of lay out um, through the course of these podcasts and the sermon on Sunday. As for the section of the question that says, um, my view is that we don't fully understand what is good and what is evil. Um, yeah. I, I think I just, like, I get I get that idea. Um, we have to be careful. Sometimes, um, so for example, there, there's the idea that, you know, cancer may be good uh, because God is using it for good things. Um, mm. And that's true. I, I get that, that John Piper has a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Uh, yeah. And you take full example or full advantage of uh, the opportunities for the gospel that suffering might give you. And there is, mm. there's a helpful re, reorienting of our, of our viewpoint on that. That being said, I don't think I want to go down the point of, of sort of um, inverting the categories to the point where we call something evil good. Yeah. Um, yeah, sickness is still sickness and death is still death and we, we don't want to just because God can use those things in order to bring about a good end we don't want to fall into the trap of thinking well I, those things uh, like categories of good and evil are now irrelevant because God will just always work for good good is still good and evil is still evil I think Yeah, does that help? it really does yeah I mean to even dig into that a little bit more I think in this this, um, this area of I guess theology and philosophy 
sometimes called theodicy, our sort Ooh. of defense of God, uh, thinking about the, the problem of evil. As we think about it, the main two things we normally talk about are God's sovereignty and his goodness. So how can a good God allow suffering if he's in control of it? Like if God allows something suffering to happen, does that mean he's not really good? Like keeping those two things in tension is important. But there's actually a third thing to keep in tension, which is what you've highlighted, which is that uh, the, the reality of evil, that, mm. that evil is actually uh, wrong and bad. Because it's possible to have your kind of predestination theology line up in such a way that, well, you know, God, I mean, some of the things we've been talking about in all this, right, God predestines, you know, there are some for life and then there are others who are hardened and, you know, the objects of wrath and what they end up doing actually makes God glorified. So then in the end, like even sin is a good thing, right? Because that mm. enables God to declare his glory. And yeah. that's a problem, right? That's right. Saying, sin, sin is still sin. It's not good. Exactly. Yeah. If you end up kind of rationalizing things in such a way that evil actually ends up being a good thing because it serves the greater good, you've you've just eviscerated evil of its badness. That's right. Which is something the Bible never does. Yeah. The Bible holds out to us that that evil is wrong and, and will be punished and God's goodness will triumph over evil. Yeah. But the Bible doesn't like explain evil away as if it's like just this riddle that we can kind of neatly yeah. package up with some theological jargon, jargon to just move to one side. Like the way that the Bible um, grapples with evil is it says that God has done something about it and is doing something about it and yeah, will do something right. about it. And so we're never meant to just kind of you know, explain away evil. Like we should rail against evil. That's what the that's Bible right. calls us to do and that's what God does. Yeah. All right. Um, so the next question here is, is sort of along the similar lines here. Um, if God is completely sovereign, then did he not will evil to occur, e.g. the Holocaust? Mm. Is God then morally evil? Yeah, and I think I think everything we've just said is, kind is, of is relevant. Um, yeah. Maybe just to, to really reiterate, um, did God will evil to occur? Um, untangling that, I think, is part of the issue. Like God... Um, I mean, I've got the verse in front of me. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 is one of the crucial verses. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Mm. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Like, I think it's problematic if we, if we charge God with willing evil, as in wanting it to happen, as, in, as if God causes it directly. Like, that's not what the Bible claims. Mm. But it does say that God stands behind evil sovereignly in an asymmetrical, different way to how he stands behind his good, like you said. So, is yeah. God morally evil? No. Like, absolutely yeah. not. We must categorically reject that kind of thing but that doesn't mean he's not in control of it he's still is in in his sovereign decrees he he ordains it but in a way that um those who actually want the evil to happen and do it are the ones who will be held responsible and the cross as we were looking at in acts chapter 4 on the weekend is, is a perfect example of that is the death of jesus an evil thing absolutely did god will it yes absolutely was god's intention for evil no god's intention was for good and for the salvation of the world and the forgiveness of sins and in order to show mercy was the actions of the chief priests and the Romans and the Gentiles evil? Absolutely. Uh, was their intent for evil? Absolutely. And will they be held responsible for it? Yes. Uh, and so there, there's a good example. Come to the Holocaust. Part of the issue with something like the Holocaust is that we don't have a, a word from God over what his good purpose was through mm. it. Uh, there was certainly evil purposes, at, 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 uh, you know, the, the persecution of an entire race and genocide are, yeah. are unspeakable acts of evil, right? Um, did it, Was it outside of God's sovereign command? No, of course not. We know that God's in control of everything. Mm. What exactly was God's good purpose in it? Well, it's not like the cross where he's told us what his good purpose is. Yeah. Does he have one? No doubt. Um, but is it revealed to us what that good purpose is? No. Can we see glimpses of it? Sure. 
there are, um, I've read a great book called Forgiving Hitler, uh, which wow. was written by a, a survivor, Holocaust survivor who became mm-hmm. a Christian and then actually uh, wrote about how the experience of uh, enduring suffering in that way led her to Christ and to the point where she uh, was able to offer forgiveness to um, Hitler himself for his you know unspeakable acts of evil. Yeah, wow. There's a little glimpse of a good thing that God has wrought through unspeakable evil. Mm. Um, but do we have the whole picture? No, of course not. Will will we see it one day in glory? I, I expect yes. Yeah, and, and and does that make it all okay? No, evil is still evil. That's right. Yeah, lost yeah. there. I hope that <laughs> summarizes some of the issues at least. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. We'll keep going. We're coming now to think about how we land this in our lives and mm. our thoughts, uh, some application questions. Someone's asked, when a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and has been baptized and lived as a Christian for most of their life, suddenly, for whatever reason, loses their faith and rejects God for the remainder of their life, does this mean they weren't actually a chosen one? How does once saved, always saved fit in here? Yeah, um, I have lots of thoughts about this. Um, mm. And uh, partly it's such a live question because this happens, right? Yeah. Um, and you, you might have experienced someone doing just this, and it's sad and... Uh, it's devastating, yeah. Yeah, it's a tragedy when this kind of stuff happens. Um, 1 John chapter 2 is, is a good verse um, to, to look at. 1 John chapter 2 verse 19. Have you got it there, mate? Yeah. yeah, do you want to read it for us? Yeah, so John talks about some of the... He calls them the antichrists who have left the church. Uh, verse 19, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed showed that none of them belonged to us. Mm. So he says that these these anti these people against Jesus who've gone, the fact that they have departed from the church is evidence that they never actually belonged to it in the first place. Yeah. So one of the um, things that this then comes into is uh, where does going the distance as a Christian fit into all of this, mm. um, and whose responsibility is going the distance? Um, it, one of the, the the five points of, of Calvinism, um, we, we've been talking a lot about the second point of, of the, the, it makes a nice uh, acronym of TULIP, if you, if you may have uh, come across mm. it before. Um, unconditional election is the U of the TULIP. Yep. Um, uh, the P at the very end is the perseverance of the saints, that mm. God's chosen ones will persevere to the end, uh, which is perhaps where this like little phrase, once saved, always saved, kind of has come from, that, that Christians persevere. Yeah. I guess my question is, well, how do Christians, by what means do, do Christians persevere? We've been talking about the means that God uses to save someone. We've been talking about evangelism is the means that God uses. Mm. I take it one of the means that God uses, there's many, but one of the means is the warnings to make sure, you know, the warnings against sins, you know, um, don't get hardened, says uh, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, see to it that that happens to none of you um, and persevere as a Christian there's, there's warnings uh, real warnings about falling away that I take it God uses as his sovereign means mm. to help Christians go the distance and when a Christian doesn't go the distance and gives up I take it's because they haven't heeded the warning because they potentially weren't one of God's people that being said your point on Sunday Jack was that while there's life there's hope the story's not over um, while people are still alive. And so we want to preach the gospel to those people and say, repent and trust in Jesus. Um, and so we don't, again, it's the same. I feel like we've given this answer so many times. We, we don't have access to the kind of the, the Lamb's book of life where yeah. we can say, this is what's happening for this person. We can just see that. Are they responding to the Lordship of Jesus and the claims of the gospel? And at this point, the answer is no. So we want to preach the gospel and call them to repent. Um, as long as there's time. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah, helpful. Um, 
one save always saved is the phrase that was used here. Yeah. Um, I think that captures an important truth that God is committed those who are in Christ. He will in, uh, help them. You know, He will ensure that they endure to the end. Absolutely. Mm. I think it can be an unhelpful phrase though, because it it collapses salvation into this simplistic thing. Where I think the Bible gives us a richer picture. So mm. once saved, always saved. Um, the issue there is that I think salvation, as the Bible talks about, it, is more of a progressive. Um, long-term process so part of it is that we're, we're justified when we believe and we're adopted and those are these instantaneous things when you put your faith in Jesus you are saved in that kind of initial it's happened sense but then it's also true that uh, uh, on the last day you know Romans 5 says uh, we will be saved on the day of wrath so salvation is a future thing as well yeah uh, the whole process from first believing to standing there before Jesus in glory that all of that is our salvation so I think rather than saying once saved always saved I'd rather say something like once justified, always being preserved, and then mm-hmm. finally glorified and saved on the last day, which is obviously a lot less catchy. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully, shows you that there's um, there's richness in it. And, and part of what you lose if you just say, "Oh, once saved, always saved," as if it's an automatic thing, is that you then ignore the warnings, mm. like you were saying before, and you say, "Well, doesn't matter what I do, uh, I can just, you know, I'm I'm in." And that's not the way that the the Bible describes our salvation. We're, we're saved by just continually hanging ourselves on God's mercy like ongoingly and if and, it, and we look at the warnings and say yes if I had departed from Jesus and let go of him I would perish forever so I'm yeah. not going to do that and that word is the means that's going to drive me back to Jesus so that I don't fall yeah that's it that's it alright I guess one of the things that I mean that leads to the next question doesn't it because yes. all of that then raises the question well how do I know that yeah. if I you know if the warnings are there and I'm warned not to fall away how do I know I won't um, someone's asked what if I've just talked myself into the assurance that I'm one of the elect? Mm. How can I be sure I'm not deluding myself? Yeah. Um, uh, gosh, it's, it's, I feel like a bit of a broken record. Um, <laughs> it is our decision and God's sovereign choice of us at the same time. Mm. Um, that being said, when, it, when you think about our side of the equation, always remember that it's not the strength of your faith or your own determination uh, so how strong your faith is that brings to, brings you to salvation. It's the object of your faith, which mm. is, is your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you trust him as your sovereign Lord, the one who's your atoning sacrifice, who forgives your sins, who was raised for you and has called you into his kingdom? If yes, then you're saved. Uh, yeah. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We're going we're gonna to talk about this uh, in, in the coming weeks. You know, it's, it's, uh, if you confess with your, your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe with your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's in the objective realities of Jesus' death and resurrection for you. Uh, not your strength of, not how much faith or how much you've convinced yourself you believe those things, but in those objective realities. And so mm. if you trust them, you're saved. You, you, and you can only trust them because God has done a sovereign work. But all you have access to is your decision. You don't, yeah, we, we're, we're not... Um, reading the Lamb's Book of Life, we're, we're yeah. trusting the, the gospel word which says, trust these truths and you'll be saved. Yeah. yeah. The other side of it is it may be that you're listening and the reality is you have not put your trust in Jesus. And that's important to say as well. There are mm. some people who may well think, oh yeah, I've been around church for ages. I, you know, I'm, I've always been part of it. Um, it may be that you haven't yet submitted your will to the Lordship of Jesus and asked for his forgiveness, in which case we don't want you to delude yourself. So there is a place for, for, for calling us to examine ourselves and test, are you in the faith? Yes. But you don't do that by kind of looking down and examining, oh, like i got to really get how my How much faith parts. do I have? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you do that by looking at Jesus and, and seeing how 
beautiful and glorious he is and casting yourself on his mercy and if you do that you're in christ and That's you right. are you are safe yep. and he'll never drive you away yep beautiful all right um so then follow up for that is is there any way to know for sure whether god has predestined us for heaven or hell yes um again like as you've said um we don't have the the last, the last book of life yeah um, <laughs> just just replay the same five yeah. second segment over and over again yeah. um <laughs> I think in the end it's just sort of the wrong question, isn't it? Um, yeah. What you know is that anyone who believes in Jesus will never perish, but will have eternal life. So believe in Jesus. Respond to that message. And then you know. Then you know that Jesus has welcomed you with open arms and your sins have been washed clean. Yeah, if we get caught up in this question of election, which we don't ultimately have the information, what we have is the gospel offer. So cast yourself on Jesus' mercy and cling to that always. That's it. Never let that go. That's it. That's it. All right. Let's talk about evangelism. We've touched on this a little. We've got a few questions that really dig into this. Yep. Someone's asked, is it possible to be a Christian and not struggle with the idea that some people are not going to be safe? Can't we just keep trying to talk to our family and friends with the assumption that people around us will be safe and it just isn't their time yet? Mm. Uh, first, two parts to that question. Is it possible to be a Christian and not struggle with the idea that some people are not going to be safe? I don't think so. If, if you yeah. are callously indifferent to the fact that the the... the, the huge numbers of people around us um, around the world who don't know Jesus are, are not right with their maker if you don't feel something with that if, you, if that doesn't bother you mm. something's not right yeah so I think a true Christian who really understands the wrath of God and the plight of humanity under sin and judgment if that doesn't stir your heart and just make you want to get out there and share the gospel something's not right mm. um, so that's the first part of the question um, can we just keep trying to talk to our family and friends in the assumption that people around us will be safe and that th- that it isn't their time yet? Um, yes and no, absolutely. Mm. Can we keep talking to our friends? We must. We we should. We we yeah. absolutely got to keep talking and not be quiet. Um, in the assumption that they will be safe, I, I don't think we can assume or presume upon the grace of God. Yeah. Um, that that is in God's hand, but we should be bold, and we should be, um, uh, yeah, really like, uh, yeah. Uh, like if you're to assume it, then you you're gonna presume on God's grace and think and you you're won't, gonna be fine. You won't. Throw you'll back off, into it. and you'll yeah. think, ah, oh, it's all right. It'll happen when it happens. Um, yeah. You just don't know how much time you've got with somebody, mm. um, and that's that's really really important. I think, um, yeah, to know that time is short, life is short. Um, and, and heaven and hell are real and so with the shortness of time love people by actively proclaiming Christ to them um, and, and often we were talking about this in our growth group again last night often we have the view of oh, I don't want to I don't want to wreck the relationship I'll just wait a little bit longer I just mm. it's not quite the right time yet sometimes that that's right you've got to pick your moment but at the same time sometimes we just use that as an excuse thinking well they haven't just thrown themselves at me and at the gospel so they're probably not ready <laughs> yeah um that that you know mm. um you know when someone knocked on our door in carlingford um <laughs> 20, 20 plus years ago we weren't ready um and yet we were yeah uh, we weren't expecting it we weren't thinking how do we find church it just that was the right thing at the right time mm. so be bold yeah nice knowing that god has already predetermined who he would choose to be saved and how should we play our part in evangelism I would say boldly and with confident expectation and gladly and, and sacrificially. Lots of things mm. to say. I mean, first thing to say is 
I mean, we've been saying this, but don't think that predestination somehow means our evangelism doesn't matter. It's the means by which God will bring his elect into the kingdom. Yeah. Acts 18 is what we showed you. Yeah. God says to Paul, you know, I have many people in this city, so the encouragement to us is be bold. Mm. So I think that predestination gives us this wonderful, confident expectation because ultimately if salvation did just depend on people, if it's just, you know, people choose and God's sovereignty has nothing to do with it, then, you, you know, I think we'd go into it like always tentative, like, oh, like, am I going to be persuasive enough? How do I, how do I get more and more persuasive so I can almost talk mm-hmm. people into the kingdom? Yep. The fact that God chooses gives us this wonderful liberating, he, he has told us that he will save people and our job is just to go bring them in. So we go out there knowing that, yeah, God has promised he's saved people. So we just got to go preach the gospel to whoever and someone will respond. That's the wonderful confidence that predestination gives us in evangelism yeah and, and i mean um paul writes this in 2 timothy 2 um he writes in verse 10 therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory mm. uh, for him election doesn't drive him away from evangelism it drives him towards just sacrificing everything because i'll take i'll do whatever it can because there's people who are going to get saved so i will do whatever i can to make sure they hear mm. so yeah a big incentive to evangelism nice one Yours, we, I think. We back to me, Ike. Sorry, yeah. we're losing track. Yeah. So someone's asked, uh, based on the doctrine of predestination, we cannot tell non-Christians that God loves them and wants them to come to know Him, because we don't know if they actually are one of the chosen and if they're loved and wanted by God. Is that correct? This person asks. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I understand what that question's getting at, um, mm. and I'm sympathetic to, to it at one level, um, because it is true God's God's love is ultimately effective for the elect, and it, yeah. Um. And I, so I see what that's getting at. And yet, again, it's the same answer, isn't it? We, without having access to knowing who the elect are, we, we have to hold out the gospel as, as the scriptures do, which is that God so loved the world that he mm. gave his own son. He loves the world um, in all its evil and all its wickedness um, and holds out an offer of life to them and says, why will you die? Come, come and have salvation. Yeah. Um, and so I personally, I wouldn't hesitate uh, to, to sort of say to someone, hey, God loves you and wants to forgive you. And if they reject that, well, um, mm. and re- reject that ultimately, well, that's because they're not one of the elect. Um, yeah. I don't think it means, yeah, I don't think it's therefore untrue that God, that God doesn't love that person. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to say that God loves them. But I appreciate the, the, the nuance that's in there that God's, ul- God's love is ultimately for the elect. Is that yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you've said, it's, it's the genuine offer to the world. That's another thing we keep saying, and we hold out that offer yep. just boldly. I think, I mean, another thing there is we don't hold out to people, like, you know, the ticket, and either it says, you know, you're in or you're out. We hold out to people Jesus. Mm. Like, it's a personal invitation because it's, it's a person who we're offering, and it's Jesus who died for sinners, and it's Jesus who came to the world. And so we don't tell people just abstractly, oh, you know, work out if you're on team A or team B. We, we say, here's Jesus. Yep. You know, he has open arms. Come to him. Yep. We hold out a person. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, application, Jack. We're here. We made it. Yeah. We've been doing some application, but we got, <laughs> you know, we've got evangelism. We've done perseverance. We're, you know, this is a few other things. Other, sorry, ask. other application. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, how, do, how do you, I think it's how do we, mm. uh, Jack and Sam, uh, li- live out these parallel truths, these, you know, God's sovereignty, human responsibility, in daily living, um, not the great moments of evangelism. Thank you. We, they are, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, not the great moments of evangelizing to others, but could you guys share a bit of your wisdom on how to live this out in the daily mundane activities? Yeah, I love this question, and I think that 
in a way, we're branching out a little from predestination into providence more broadly when yep. we're talking about just mundane daily life. But yep. Yep. understanding that God is in control of everything that happens, I think, opens up like this wonderful richness to life because it casts everything in terms of our relationship with Him. Yep. So knowing that you know we're not just random little kind of cosmic accidents bubbling around and whatever happens, you know, who knows why that happened? I got no idea. Um, we've been told that that God has um, ordained things so that we would come to be like Jesus. I mean, let's, like, Romans 8, 28 is, like, just crucial here. It's kind of a way to set the scene, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, um, I, I know. Um, <laughs> we, I don't we know, know um, that, in, that in all things. God, God works all things for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose, and He goes on to say that those who've been um, foreknew, predestined, and so on, all to be conformed to the image of His Son. Like, everything mm. that happens, one of God's goals in it is that we would be more like Jesus. And so knowing that just opens up everything. So it means when hard things come in life, like I don't have to wonder, oh, like, you know, this universe is just cruel and unusual and I'm being, you know, facing these hard times. Like, no, it means God has um, ordained that this would happen for my good so that I would be more and more patient and more kind. Like, um, it opens up the possibility to look at hardship and see fatherly discipline that's going to grow me. Mm. Um, but the good things as well, like when good things happen and I'm, you know, walking through and there's a lovely sunset and, you know, life is beautiful and, like, Knowing that God is the one who ordained that pushes me away from idolatry and just saying, well, I, I love this world for what it is. Yeah. It pushes me into gratitude and saying, God has put this here for, for me, for my enjoyment. Isn't God wonderful? So mm. I think knowing that God's in control just opens up this wonderful richness to our relationship with Him as our Father. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. Yeah, I, I have two just little examples. Um, hopefully these will be helpful. One is, I think... Um, even if something as mundane as being getting stuck in traffic and being caused mm. to be late, right? That's not outside of the sovereign plan of God. Yeah. Um, that happens sometimes. Um, I take it there's a human option, uh, which is to get frustrated, angry, lose your temper, blast your horn, get cranky. Mm. Uh, you know, that happens a lot in Sydney, doesn't it? I mean, you feel like you want to do that all the time. Yeah. Um, the blessings of lockdown not have enough for many, you know. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, but is that not an opportunity to show patience, humility, uh, God, God's given that to you, and 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 again, if you if we as you helpfully point us to Romans eight twenty eight, that God's will is to make you more like Jesus. There's an opportunity for Christ likeness, for patience, for love, for grace, letting someone even f- go in in front of you, you know, um, mm. and uh, and then if you, if that means that you're late, something you know, humbly asking for forgiveness for being late or whatever it is, all of which are Christ like options. Um, uh, which are decisions you can make knowing that that's God's will for you uh, and uh, how, what God is looking for you to do in that moment uh, rather than uh, doing the evil thing that perhaps um, the enemy or, or even your own sinful nature would have you do, which is losing your cool and blowing your top. Mm. Uh, secondly, I think like that's just a, a very inane, mundane situation. Hmm. Bigger picture, planning out your life. Um, my encouragement for, for you would be to live a planned life. Uh, make plans... Uh, make them wisely knowing that God's plan for you is to become more like Christ. So, you know, for us, Soph and I have often thought about, well, where do we live? Um, and we want to make sure that we live pretty close to church because I know that I can be really lazy and uh, if, if it in any way depends on me, I'll just be a slacker. Uh, so I want to make it as easy as possible to go to church, get my kids to church, be part of church life, mm. uh, which means that, you know, we own a house somewhere else and rent a house close to church uh, because we just want to be able to, to, to be present and part of our church community. We think that's good for our kids uh, and we're doing everything that we can that our kids and our and us as two people are, are fully engaged in church life because we know that what God wants for us is to become like Christ and we know that church, being part of a church community is going to help us to do that. 
Um, and, and so we make decisions actively. Does where you pick your house determine how godly you are? No. Can it help? Well, maybe. Um, and so we want to make decisions in light of what we know God wants for us, and we might make, you know, um, different decisions. Like it might be easier for us to live in a house that we own and not have to, you know, do the frustrations of being renters, which are frustrating. Point. Mm. But ultimately, we're trying to make a decision in line with what God wants for us. Yeah. There you go. That's a great example to see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. On decisions, I mean, this, your, what you just said answers a little bit. There's a little more to say. Someone's asked, how do we make decisions in life knowing God is sovereign and in control, but also that our decisions may or may not align with God's plan? Mm. Yeah. Sophie and I often say to each other, there's no plan B mm. um, in God's economy. There's yeah. no, there's no plan B. That? Well, God is, is in control and whatever decision we make will ultimately be part of his plan. Yeah. Um, not because we're robots, not because we don't have real choices, but because of this beautiful interplay of these two truths that we've been saying over and over again, that God is completely in control and we are really responsible. So mm. it actually gives you confidence to make your decision. So long as you see that the decision is not sinful uh, or that the choice that you're making is not sin, it's not um, you know, in some other way uh, prohibited by God's word, um, there's a degree of freedom and therefore there's a degree of confidence that we can make decisions to do things uh, and trust that God will use them in part of his, um, yeah, part, part of his planning. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think of when we finished more college, um, there were two options on the table for us as to where we could have served. Mm. Um, we had two churches saying, come and join us and be part of our ministry here. Um, you know, I, I was thankful for that. Um, how do you make a decision? They're two good options, right? Yeah. Church A, fantastic. Church B, fantastic. Um, and, and we had to make a choice uh, as to which one we would go and serve in. Um, all, clearly, God's will for us was to come to St. Paul's. And we've yeah. been here for 10 years and here we are. But <laughs> was right. that, that was still a decision that we wrestled and thought and considered. But at the end of the day, we were free to make a choice in which one we thought would be the best option for, for fruitful ministry of the gospel. And mm. here we are. Yeah. Um, so, but there's no plan B. That was never our plan. It was never God's plan for us to go to that place. Evidenced by the fact that we didn't go there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I don't know. Does that help? It does. Yeah. If you think of you know discerning God's will as some kind of arcane, you know, God has this plan, and it's my job to somehow I don't know. I don't read, want to miss God's te- plan for my life. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. Um, the way that uh, God's plan his you know what actually happens works is he doesn't you know yeah speak to us through the tea leaves he tells us in his word the things that matter and he calls us to wisely and in consultation and as a church you know figure out what to do and yeah that's how god brings about what he wants yeah yeah doesn't happen apart from our desires it happens with them yeah that's it and all goes together it's that's it yep all right um uh how can we grieve in a godly way when a non-christian family member or friend dies um noting your line on sunday jack while there's life there's hope yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, this is, in some ways, you know, grief is the right response because, as I said, when someone's still living, there is every hope that, you, you know, you pray that they'll turn and you preach the gospel while you can. Um, but when it comes to the point where someone dies not trusting Christ, the reality is that that is the end and hope is over and justice is done. And that's devastating, really. Um, so I think... The first thing to say is it's right to grieve. It's good, good and right to grieve that. Um, I mean, for personal example, like I, I think it's terrible to talk about. My my grandfather died about, well, must be going on six years ago now. Um, spent his whole life railing against God, 
Um, he had a, a shortish battle with cancer um, and, and died. And at the time, I mean, part, in, in that case, part of the answer is, I mean, right towards the end, he couldn't talk much, but I was there by his bedside reading the Bible with him. I was praying for him. I was begging him to, you know, accept Jesus. I don't know what he did. So part of the answer is, I don't know what happened in the end, um, and I trust that to God. But if I had to say anything, I'd say it's probably more likely that he continued to rail against Jesus to his dying moment, and mm. now justice is done. Um, I am devastated by that, and that's hard. And <laughs> what could be harder? Yeah, you grieve. Um, Jesus wept over Jerusalem and grieved death as well. Like that, That's good and right. And then I think part of the answer is, is saying that it is good and right that that God is just and justice is done. We've said this before as well, but deep down, I think we all think that you know everyone deserves salvation, and the reality is we don't, and and sin is wrong. And I take it in glory. We'll understand much better just how wrong sin is, and how awful it is that we humans spend our lives rebelling against the God who made and loves us. Yeah. And I think that we'll praise God for His justice, even as it is meted out against people who reject Him to the end. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's easy. Yeah. I, th- I think often we lose sight of just how offensive sin is mm. to God because we love people and we overlook so much stuff. Um, God is also a God who overlooks and is gracious. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and there's always, um, you know, in your example with your grandfather, God, we, we hold on the fact that God is ultimately gracious. Mm. But that doesn't mean that sin, you know, even your grandfather's or mine or anybody's is so is, is actually so wicked and so... Yeah deserving of punishment God owes nobody his mercy yeah that's right yeah yeah. but that's, yeah. that can be hard yeah absolutely yeah yeah no easy answer there keep grieving we're going to wrap it up this is our last one for today we, we've made it we're almost there yay uh, someone's asked is there any point praying for people to come to know God if God is already predestined to enter his kingdom God knows before a child is even born if that child will be his then our prayers and actions seem futile yeah um Great question. Um, glad glad to kind of wrap up, but we'll, we'll try and dig into it a little bit. Yeah, there's a couple of sub questions, sorry, Dwayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, we can we can ask them as we go. Um, uh, let me ask the opposite question. Let's imagine for a minute that God is not sovereign over salvation. In fact, He has no control, and it's completely in free will of humanity. Is there any point in praying in that situation? Mm. God can sit up there and listen and say, well, yes, I also would like your friend to become a Christian. <laughs> really um, rooting for you, you know. Go, go, go well, mate. You know, good good yeah. luck. Uh, it's in your hands. Um, yeah. And in that point, is it not true that prayer is futile in an... It's actually futile in a, in a, in a spiritual economy where God has no sovereignty. Mm. Um, it is only because... God has control over salvation that, or, or over everything in that matter, um, that prayer is ultimately effective. And so my first point would be to say sovereignty actually is the basis under which all of prayer hangs because if God is not powerful over evil, don't pray to him about an evil situation. Mm. If God is not sovereign over the course of a natural disaster, don't pray about the natural disaster because He his hands are tied. But because God is in control, you can pray. That's the first yeah. thing I'd say. Mm. The second thing I say is um, sometimes we can be a bit too mechanical or mechanistic perhaps about this Mm. um, because prayer is ultimately relational, isn't it? Um, Will God's will happen if if I don't pray for it? Well, we can get into that in a minute. Mm. Um, But 
Um, the, one of the images that Jesus continually uses for, for prayer is um, a child talking to their father. Um, and, and he uses that, you know, he's like, which of you, if, you're, if your son asks you for, for bread, will give him a snake? You know, like Jesus gets the idea. And I think what's going on there, like one of the examples in our household is we like our kids to ask with manners when they're getting their dinner. Mm. Um, Please, dad, could you pass me a bowl of noodles? You yeah. know, um, do, would I withhold the noodles and send them to bed without food if they don't ask the right way? No, of course, I'm their dad. I'm going to feed them. Um, but I like to be asked because it's a relational activity and I don't mm. want to be taken for granted. And, of course, I'm going to give them the food anyway, but actually them asking the right way is the means that I've set up so that they learn manners and politely interu- interact in our family context. Mm. I think that prayer, Jesus keeps saying it's it's like that talking to your heavenly Father yeah. and asking him, God... God has set that up as the sovereign means by which he graciously provides things to us. So, um, including salvation to people. And Mm. and he uses us as one of the means by which to call home the elect. Yeah. Maybe to kind of ask the final question, um, one person, again, asking a similar question about prayer and doesn't matter, um, particularly raised the issue, does God change his mind? If God's already decided, is there any point, you know, this person raised the example of Abraham and pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, is there any point asking God to save someone if he's already decided whether he will or not? Yeah. Um, there's a few instances of that, uh, and I find this very interesting, um, mm. instances of this in the Bible. I find one that's very helpful because it's done in the context of prayer is in Exodus um, where Moses is wrestling in prayer with God about the destruction of the uh, the Israelites. Now, I mean, the context is, so we're in Exodus 33 and 34, Um and uh, actually, it might be in 30... Where is it? 33.14 is what I want to say. Is that right? No. 30... Well, I'll give you the context while I find the verse. Sure. Um, the uh, the context is that they've just come out. They've, they've got, Moses has been up the mountain. They've got the, the stone tablets. God's rescued them out of Egypt. And then instead of worshipping God, they build a golden calf and they worship that. And God is so angry at them that he is going to destroy them. Um, and uh, God, uh, Moses wants to go and intercede on behalf of um, the Israelites. Uh, and he, he goes and prays to God. Now, where does he do that, Jack? Have you got it there? Um, end of 32, uh, Moses, verse 31, goes back to God. See what a great sin these people have committed. Please forgive their sin. If not, blot me out of your book. Is that what you're thinking? Um, no, I'm uh, thinking of the is the the relent from your great anger passage, mm, yes. um, which uh, relent, relent, relent. Yeah, golly gosh, I thought I had this in my mind, and I thought it was thirty three and thirty four. Um, it is. It is. It's thirty two. Um, so thirty two eleven. Moses went and sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he oh, said. Yes. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with an evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. And here's the really interesting verse, 32, 14. Then the Lord relented 
and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Now, what's going on there? Um, mm. God has promised, I am going to destroy these people. Get out of the way, Moses, and I will have I will punish them. Yeah. Moses intercedes, goes to talk to God and prays, God, change your mind. And then what does he do? He calls God on his promise that he made to Abraham and said, be faithful. You made a promise. Why should people say that you don't keep your promises? And then God changes his mind and doesn't bring the, the punishment. Now, you could say at one level that, that those who are like, yes, yeah, see, prayer changes things. Humans make a difference, right? Yeah. But actually, what did God just do? God stuck to the promise that he made at the, at the very start. So he actually was completely faithful to what he always said he would do, which was to bless Abraham and his descendants. And yeah. it seems that... Moses's prayer is the means, the God-appointed means, uh, for bringing about the relenting that was nothing other than a gracious confirmation of the covenant that God had already made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. And so, yeah. Now you start to get, well, what would have happened if Moses didn't pray? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you start to see that prayer is, again, one of the means that God uses to bring about his, his preordained will. Yeah, and I think with that, part of our challenge is we see how things unfold in time and we're trying to balance what God does in time with his eternal decree. That's right. So did God change his mind? Well, on the face of it, God was angry and threatening to destroy. Moses prays, God does something different. Mm. Does that mean that you know God hadn't thought that he might make that change until that moment? I take it no. I take before the foundation of the world, God has planned all this and mm. has already appointed what's going to happen and has already decided that Moses would kind of have his heart stirred up to pray at that point and that God would change his mind in response to Moses' prayer. So yeah. God both, both, I think, plans our prayers and plans that he will respond to them. And our prayers are the means by which God has mm. ordained that he will bring about his, his will. Mm. And, and in time, that may look to us like a change, but it's a change that God has already eternally mm. willed that he will decide That's to make. And, and I mean, I was alluding to that in the sermon. It, it, it is... It is um, good to note that God does stand outside of time and, and is that the way that God is able to handle this what what appears to be an apparent contradiction to us in so many ways mm. um, I think quite possibly um, it's just hard to find a verse that kind of you know mm. gives you that but I think when, when you start reflecting on it I think that that makes a lot of sense yeah. um, so it means I think in the moment like to land this when you're yeah. praying I think you can get all tangled up in knots and sometimes yeah. occasionally this has happened to me and I think and I'm about to pray and I think Wow, has God willed from eternity that I would now pray this prayer and is he then going to answer it? Or what if I just now decide not to pray? Well, then does that mean that God had decided from eternity that I would say I was about to pray and then decide not to? Yeah. I mean, whatever ends up happening, that was God's decree. Up in knots, can't you? But I don't know. I don't know what God's plans until it happens. Mm. All I know is that Jesus has said, ask and you'll receive. That's right. Knock and the door will be open to you. And so I listen to the word, the will that God has revealed in mm. the scriptures and I respond and I pray. And in God's kind, and I think once you start to think about, I mean, I think about when I became a Christian, there were people praying that I would become a Christian. My mate Axel was praying that I would be saved. Yeah. God answered his prayer. If he hadn't prayed, would I be saved? It's just, in a sense, it doesn't really. It's not worth asking because it's just not the universe we're in. Like, no, that's we just right. can't know. All we know is that God decided that Axel would pray and decided to answer that prayer, and the result is that I am saved and have eternal life. And how wonderful is that? So, yeah. pray. Yeah. We're called to pray. So let me encourage you to. to uh, call on God and ask him that's it and that, I mean that just to round us out I mean that brings you back to that middle knowledge thing we were talking about before with Molinism which is you know what about these infinite number of pers uh, possibilities if Axel hadn't prayed what what 
course might Jack's life have run? Well, at the end of the day, that's, that's a moot point because mm. that's not the reality that God caused to happen. And, and so sovereign was God that he made Axel pray and praise God, here you are, Jack. And, yeah. you know, I would have had to tackle all these questions on my own and <laughs> that would have been no fun at all. So it's much better to have you uh, here. Thank so, you, brother. Yeah. I think we can finally say it's time to leave it there. Hey. Put a fork in it, call it done. We've, yeah. we've done it. Um, now, Jack, we're taking a bit of a, a break. For anyone who's still listening, well, well done. You know. All five of you. Yeah. That's probably a bit optimistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the poor person whose question was the last. They've, they've just hanging out you know, for a while. Yeah, that's it. They've been through like 70 questions, and then finally <laughs> that was yours about prayer. Uh, Sorry. Um, what, what are we doing the next couple of weeks? Church is back. We are back in person on Sunday. Praise Woo. God. We're excited for that. Yeah. And as we get into church in person, we are taking a break from Romans for a few weeks mm-hmm. to think about the idea of freedom, really. Our culture has been talking about freedom in all sorts of ways the past couple of weeks. You know, lots of people celebrating the Freedom Day that happened a couple of, uh, of uh, week- weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we're interacting with that idea. What does it mean for us to be free? Now, you know, most of us probably realize now that just because you call it a freedom day doesn't make all the problems of life go away. Um, yeah, what has Jesus set us free for? That's the question we're going to be tackling this yeah, Sunday. Yeah, nice. So a couple of weeks on that uh, as we return and what a joy that's going to be. And then back to Romans in uh, three Sundays time. Mm. And we'll yeah look forward to kind of digging into these topics with you again as we uh, in a couple of weeks time. That's right. We're looking forward to seeing many of you on Sunday. Yeah, get your ticket. We'll see you then. All right, bye-bye.